This show was brought to you by Ouch My Ego. OuchMyEgo.com Season's greetings there, John. Season's greetings there, Andrew. You're doing pretty well, I suppose. Just, you know, six feet above ground. I am indeed six feet above ground. I'm getting over a little bit of a sickness, so if I cough in the middle of a sentence, uh, don't hold that against me. I won't, because I'm not down with the sickness anyway. I wanted to reference that for no no good uh, reason. uh, uh. No, uh, uh, uh. No good reason for that reference either. Darn you for steering the conversation to this horrible point. Or did I do it? I did it. I did it. Let's get back on something good, though. I think good. First off, let me ask you something. If we're going to be talking about a movie that kind of has some framework in previous movies i'd like to ask you questions about your history with previous movies so do you like sort of business class movies from the 50s and some of the 40s uh i don't particularly watch too many films from that era so i'm ambivalent to them like i've seen some you know i don't like you've seen it's a wonderful life right yeah that's one i don't particularly care about but that's also because yeah it's overplayed it's ubiquitous it's all all the time it's always 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 and it's so frustrating because it's always 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 but once you get done watching it you're like wow that's pretty well done gosh and just a little bit of trivia that movie was panned and then tanked in the box office nobody liked it and the only reason why it took off was because it was thrown on tv early on and it was just rerun to fill the time during the holiday season so it's a wonderful life became the so-called cult classic or classic that it is but really became a living room cult classic that everybody loves it's kind of like the way that uh, Christmas Story or Wizard of Oz, same thing. Wizard of Oz, but yeah, really more so Christmas Story and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. They were like the holiday mainstays. But Wizard of Oz is like Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, it turned into a Thanksgiving film. Yeah. So what about Singing in the Rain? I like the film. I'm not that big on musicals, even though neither am I. Yeah, it, even though it's like yeah, I brought a musical to this very show. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you'd think that I would be okay with that one that you bring up any chance you can oh by the way which is repo the genetic opera i like my musicals to be more like music videos and less like old-timey musicals wait 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 i like my music videos to be like musicals so they're movies and i like my movies to actually have uh like a band on the stage in the background or if uh, it has a musical montage i'd like it to be incidental i like to yeah like be on the radio somewhere you know, and then they turn the dial off and the song's over and then the scene goes on. That's how I like my music and music videos. It's kind of the opposite. It's like, yeah, like with Singing in the Rain, uh, the first time I'd actually seen this film was maybe like four or five years ago. It was one of those films where I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I don't like musicals. I, you know, and then I saw it and went, okay, all right, it's good reluctantly like it you're talking about singing in the rain rain, yeah 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 so singing in the rain uh the reason why i bring that up is because well first john what did we just watch we watched the hudsucker proxy once upon a time the american dream was power wealth and success but in the city that never sleeps the american dream is about to get a wake-up call just got hired today you know entry level but i got big ideas when the president, an owner of 87% of the company's stock, drops. Then the company, too, has a problem. What we need now is a new president. Some jerk. I like it on fire. We can really push around. Yo! Yeah, yo, boss! This letter was sent down this morning by the big man himself. Sit down, son. Go ahead. Try it on. 
man when they promoted you from the mailroom? Well, I guess so. I don't think they promoted me because they thought I was a schmo. The guy's a real moron. Cigarettes? No, thank you. What an imbecile. Come up with this. From Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's fun, it's healthy, the kids will just love it, and we put a little sand inside to make the experience more pleasant. Did you have any idea there'd be such a huge response? This is the president. Oh, I don't think anybody expected this much hoopla. <laughs> Comes a comedy of fame, <gasps> fortune, romance, sex, <laughs> greed, and the American way. Say, Amy, how about you and I grab a little dinner or a show after work? I was thinking maybe the king and I. Uh, how about Oklahoma? Tim Robbins, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Paul Newman. I'm getting off this the Hot Sucker Proxy. Okay, so the reason why I bring up Singing in the Rain is because it seems to inform the Coen brothers' work at various points in their history, including Hot Sucker Proxy and the Big Lebowski. There are certain elements here and there in the, and Hail Caesar. Which, that I haven't seen yet. Well, Hail Caesar is neither good nor bad. It's, it is a Coen brothers movie, and that's it. There's some fantastic elements of it. It is a musical, but it's also not. It's just behind-the-scenes film. Well, I like movies about Hollywood, for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, so you might like it, but I think it kind of ends on a fizzle i don't remember it's not a movie that i i watch a lot and it's not a movie that i will write off watching ever again so that's good so this movie it's from the minds of the people that brought you fargo raising arizona and barton fink and the evil dead i was about to include evil dead if you weren't gonna do it or maybe crime wave yeah well joel met sam while he was editing evil dead for sam and then they ended up hanging out writing stuff and they've been working on hudsucker proxy since 1981 and then they cobbled on crime wave which was 1985 have you seen crime wave i have not seen crime wave oh great i'm not gonna make you watch it it's not one of the it's one of those where you probably you john will probably go oh i can't wait i would totally want to talk about this on this show no i'm so annoyed by that movie <laughs> It would just be me going like, no, I don't want to. It's just that it's such an obnoxious movie. It's loud. It's unruly. It kind of informs this one in a little bit. It's like, so the city in Hudsucker Proxy is this huge New York City, informed by a lot of 40s movies and some of those 50s business type movies where the the city is huge and the camera tilts up and you, you see how big everything is. Well, Crime Wave is a little bit like that same city, but in the early... 80s by way of slum 60s okay so you're not you're not yeah. uh, dissuading me from wanting to see this movie just so you know <laughs> right it's just so obnoxious well i've also heard it's not good so i have expectations that are not very high for it doesn't mean i still don't want to see it right but you've seen hudsucker proxy and apparently a little birdie named you says that uh, you love this movie yes this movie i do adore now it's one of those things where part of the show is you bring movies to people that they haven't seen i haven't seen this movie in not a decade but you're going like seven or eight years it's like yeah well that's the requisite is five so yeah it's five years it's been a good while since i've seen this but yeah i also break the rules because i make the rules here i break the rules sometimes just because i want people to know about something and i 
think both, and I'm going to try not to use this inappropriately, Hudsucker Proxy is an underrated and underseen film. I can stand by that statement. I almost want to say you're wrong about being underseen, only because you, you brought up watching this thing like a while ago. But mm-hmm. try, try not to go backstage about the show, but you brought this up months and months ago. And mm-hmm. around the time that you had mentioned this, I had seen it playing like constantly on Stars or something like that. Oh, what? Yeah. So oh, like in heavy rotation, like when you just turn on the TV. Yeah, it was. It always seemed to be playing. So I, knowing that it was there, I was debating whether I was actually going to just tape it at that time and then just hang on to it or not. Didn't. I and actually bought myself a used copy. But there was a point where I'm going like this was playing quite a bit for a while. And you're talking hmm. like June, like June, July, something like that. It's a weird time for that to be in heavy rotation too, because it is our December show. For a reason, because it's set in December. It's set at the end of November into December. Actually, into the new year. So, happy new year, everybody. This is your movie. Which is what, John? Tell me. Tell them. Don't tell me. Tell everybody. Tell everybody what this film is about? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. I was getting lost in thought of how great this movie is. <laughs> well, hit it. Okay. Essentially, we follow a... kind. Of, I don't want to call him necessarily a country bumpkin, because he's not that uh, hickish. But he's... He's just a square. He's this very, yeah, very nice... Naive uh, guy from Muncie who's moved to the big city because he has dreams and he will show people his big idea which is a circle drawn on a piece of on paper on a piece of paper yes and he believes in it because you know for kids <laughs> everyone who looks at him just goes terrific and so he gets yeah because the city is jaded and cynical yeah. it's the rat race and that's who he deals with yet he is optimism come into the city continue yes so he's looking for a job and he seems to actually seem to want to look at jobs that he is completely unqualified for I mean, granted every single job on this like little job board that that's rotating that he comes across always has some form of experience but they start by kind of showing him looking at executive vice president and going like dude there's just like a goat herder on there why don't you try that one first <laughs> right goat herder in new york city it's a, it, 1958 it's something like that. It's really, it's a silly uh, thing. But kind of fortuitously, he does come across a ad in the paper that is for the Hudsucker Industries that it's going to have long hours with low pay, but no experience is yeah. necessary. <laughs> Isn't that all of them? All of those jobs? No experience necessary, long hours, low pay. But it's you, retail. That's but, what a male job for him. Yeah. Usually they don't advertise that that's how it's going to be. That's just what it is. But this is specifically in the paper. Right. But on the same day that he goes in for his job, the head of Hudsucker uh, Industries, wearing Hudsucker, just in the middle of a board meeting where everything is, seems to be going spectacular, he uh, just gets up on the table and runs and takes a swan dive out the window. Yes. So, out the window, he jellies up the sidewalk, as they say. Sidewalk is wearing Hudsucker. Yeah. We regretfully announce that at 30 seconds after the hour of noon... Hudsucker time, wearing Hudsucker, founder, president, and chairman of the board of Hudsucker Industries, merged with the infinite. Norville Barnes gets a job as a mail clerk, and then he has to deliver a specific letter to Paul Newman, who is Musburger. Yes. Mr. Musburger is such a nice man. And he's the, what, CEO? Second in command? Yeah, he's like... like, Something like that. Yeah, I guess, as far as I can tell, they never specifically state what his job is, but... But he's definitely second in command to wearing Hudsucker. And he's cold 
golden callus. He's the worst kind of businessman. He is the quintessential terrible overlord businessman. Yeah. And the blue letter is supposed to go to him, but in the process of delivering the blue letter, Norville shows him the circle and says, you know, for kids. And then he gets fired. Yeah. <laughs> and then hired as the president because the board needs a proxy so that they can drive the stock down. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Is Yeah, so they rehire him because he's he's a bumbling fool and most well-meaning guy. But then Musburger goes, wait a minute, I get this idea, and then hires him as the new president of the company. Inadvertently, the circle lifts the company out of dire straits. It backfires on them in a month they become liquid again. So that drives uh, to Norville's ego, and he goes from super swell, naive, nice guy to rich, kind of corrupted by money guy. And there's a story in between that. Yeah. Which involves the press. Yeah, we have Jennifer Jason Lee, who is such a rapid fire, go get him, tough as nails, jaded city chick working for this newspaper who is going to go and uncover this idea man that they've hired. The Einstein of Enterprise. The Edison of industry. The billion dollar cranium. Idea man. I thought one of you mugs was giving me a story on him. The human angle. That's what sells papers. We need a front page with a heart. And the whole idea of the idea man idea can put it there. And she's going to discover all his flaws and take him down because that's what she does. I tell you, the guys are phony. Phony, huh? As a $3 bill. Says who? Says me, Amy Archer. Why is he an idea man? Because Hudsucker says he is. What are his ideas? Why won't they let anyone interview him? He's the bunk. She does investigative journalism. She is a real journalist. She's got a Pulitzer. Oh, she'll tell you she has a Pulitzer. I'll stake my Pulitzer on it. <laughs> yeah. So she thinks that there might be a story here somewhere. This guy seems like an idiot, and he kind of is, but he's also kind of not. He's just a nice square. That's uh, like he's played by Tim Robbins. Yeah. Tim Robbins is so gosh golly jeepers nice in this film. Yeah. I think Tim Robbins, as far as how I relate to him in this story, is when I saw this in the theater, I was very similar to him. I was probably even worse than him as far as my gosh golly and optimism and being ignorant of the world naive of everything so i was just like i love it <laughs> oh he's becoming a rich jerkhead oh how's he gonna get out of it this time you know and that works very well because again you have jeffrey jason lee as this little spitfire and they bounce off each other very well yeah you know she's probably one of these fast talking career gals thinks she's one of the boys probably is one of the boys if you know what i mean <laughs> oh i'm quite sure i don't know what you mean she probably dresses in men's clothing Swaps drinks with the guys at the local watering hole. Hobnobs with some smooth-talking heel in the newsroom named Biff or Smoocher or... Smitty. Exactly. And I bet she's ugly. Real ugly. Otherwise, why wouldn't they print her picture next to her byline? Well, maybe she puts her work ahead of her personal appearance. Bet that's exactly what she tells herself. <laughs> you and I both know she's a dried-up, bitter old maid. <laughs> Say, Amy, how about you and I grab a little dinner and a show after work? I was thinking maybe the king and I. Uh, how about Oklahoma? Norville Barnes, you don't know a thing about that woman. You don't know who she really is. And only a numbskull thinks he knows things about things he knows nothing about. Now, when did you first see this? Oh, uh, gosh, when I see this. I think I saw it in like 98 or 99. Okay. Did you just rented it or what? My dad owned it, so... They just kind of popped it oh, out one day. Cool. Yeah. I went and saw it in the theater, but I dragged my friend Marty to it previously. He knew that I liked the Coen brothers. I think we had seen like Raising Arizona at his house or something on cable or video. And then we saw Barton Fink in the theater and I was like totally cool with Barton.
Martin Fink. That's like me starting to spread my wings of strange dark cinema, right? So after we saw Barton Fink, he's like, that was, I didn't like it. It was boring. It was this, it was that. I didn't like it. And then I was like, Hot Circle Proxy's coming out. Let's go see it. It's by the people that did uh, Barton Fink. I forgot you hate it. So he went in thinking that it was going to be just as boring and lame. And he got the opposite, which is just such like uh, the very first triumph. <laughs> of what did we just watch probably if you're gonna go that far back well it's so. this film exudes charm yes. and, and what you had mentioned before and this basically has a very 1950s kind of classic cinema feel to it at all times and you had asked me to watch rewatch i should say singing in the rain yeah along with this and in a way it's like what singing in the rain does for late 20s early 30s era where it kind of it has moments where it really apes a lot of of stylistic choices from those sorts of films, especially some of the musical numbers, especially, this film really seems to crib a lot from that era, where it just... Yes. you, Especially, like, in Jennifer Jason Lee's dialogue, how, how she is acting feels very much like they just grabbed someone from the 50s and said, here you go, act in this movie now. That style of dialect that she speaks in is called Transatlantic, and it is how most people know of, like, Cary Grant speaking that way, but it's like Hepburn and Grant and those people. Yeah. It, very, very, very sort of... It's American, but it's not British. It's somewhere it, in between. It's sort of posh, and yet and yet totally uh, not, because obviously she's not rich. She is just coming like, I'm upper crust, but not really. Yeah, so... But hers is, like, really rapid. Yeah, I, it's like, I'm upper and crust from the street. How about that? It's actually very white. It's a very white way of doing, but it's transatlantic. It's a way that um, the theater brought over to cinema. It was a way that people could easily hear and understand. It's almost like, if you think about it, when you watch uh, news anchors who... <laughs> tell the story one film critic described the numerous influences from his infectious name to physical clumsiness norville barnes is you know they have this sort of narrative it's not natural how the voice goes up and down but it does that in order to grab your ear that's the news anchor thing and yeah. that's transatlantic it's a way of getting a lot of dialogue out fast too and boy does this movie have that yes people talk in this movie they talk a lot and yet it's now never, you'd think it'd be boring too but it's not. Yeah, it's not because the dialogue is perfect. It's really snappy. It's funny dialogue. All right, so we gave you the bare bones of it. I end up quoting or, or speaking along with this movie. This is how much I love it. This movie is part of my soul in a way. Like, like I didn't know I had a piece of my soul missing until this movie came along and I was like, whoa, there's a little puzzle piece. It fits. It's like that. Now, I know that there are some elements that I actually don't like too much but i just kind of decoded it this viewing i always wondered what it was about so norville barnes goes through the trajectory of being the bumpkin rube who's actually smart he did well and he's well liked from his school and his friends didn't call him jerk and all that stuff though paul newman keeps on trying to convince him that he's a schmuck you're from the basement aren't you and weren't blessed with much education well i i'm a college graduate but you did not excel in your studies. Well, I, I, I made Dean's List. And your friends, they called you jerk, didn't they? Uh oh. Dope. Mm -mm. Dipstick. Oh. Lame brain. Uh -oh. Schmo. Not even behind your back. No, as a matter of fact, they voted me most likely to succeed. So he goes from that to being the rich jerk, all within about a week 
of his success. So that's, I guess, to speed up for this thing has to last throughout a month. <laughs> yeah. It's a very short amount of time. Yeah, for, yeah. Even though it feels like it, the length of time would have been much longer, right? Yeah. There, it feels like, the, What happens, his success is it's really overnight. And it's this thing where the introduction of the hula hoop as a toy, not Tim Robbins' presentation, but the kid who finds it. Yeah. Is out of all the unbelievable things in this, and this includes time literally being stopped and an angel showing <laughs> up and talking to Tim Robbins. Yes. The most unbelievable thing for me is the kid picking up the hula hoop and immediately doing all these amazing tricks and knowing exactly how to, you know, what to do with this thing, which then I immediately sells don't it. Don't find that unbelievable. Look. Kids pick up video game controllers and they've never played before, and then they got it intuitively. I pick up a video game controller. I'm in my 40s. I'm like, how does? Why is this? And then I'm I'm upside down on the couch somehow, and I'm playing with my toe on the video game controller. This isn't working right. While the kid is just like glancing at it and he beat the game. Well, no, that's because for these kids, there's always been video games, so it's always been a part of their life and it's always existed. You mm. existed before video games were really a big thing. Yeah. So sure, sure. But what I'm saying is, even the youngest kid who's never played a video game, he'll pick it up really fast. Right, right now, some kids, kids are in general, are just attuned to play. Nah, he very well. He wouldn't be doing a skip it. He wouldn't be running a thing around his neck. He, the kid is magic. <laughs> Leave the kid alone. <laughs> no, anyway. So, so yes, the hula hoop, the circle is a hula hoop. And he brings the company out of its dire straits. And they actually wanted to bring the stock down. We depressed the stock to the point where we can buy 50%. 51? Uh, not counting the mezzanine. It could work. It should work. It would work. It's working already. Yeah. The but wearing Hudsucker had 51%, yes. So they wanted to buy up all his stock. It was only going to be available first of the year. So well, it was available first of the year, the but to the public. The, that was the big thing. Yeah. Was the public had a opportunity That's to purchase it. stock, and we, and they they are then part of the public, so they can buy it up too if it's affordable enough. And the only way to make it affordable enough is to kill the company, yes, basically. But Paul, it's Paul and Newman's they, anger at the fact that John Q. Public could have a piece of his company. That's yeah. the big thing is just, it's not so much that we could just buy it, you know, like let's scheme. It's these poor people could have a share of our profits. We can't have that. Right. Which is like so many businesses today. I mean, this movie was written in the 80s so it was a commentary a little bit about that from then until the 80s. But it was made in the 90s and it's still a commentary today <laughs> it still fits but the part that i always had a problem with today i don't think it's too much of a problem because i i literally watched it again today i can watch this movie anytime it's on and i put it on and it's the dream sequence after he becomes corrupt and it's the dream sequence of him dancing with a long-legged beautiful ballet dancer who is somewhat scantily clad this is the uh in the trailer it says sex there's no sex in the film at all anna nicole smith presents a bit of a, a name drop sexiness because she was a big deal at the time yeah and this scene with the woman dancing is about as sexy as it gets i have a feeling that that probably was supposed to be anna nicole smith dancing or at least the character that she plays was supposed to be that's that. interesting and then that you know, they, they hired her thinking that oh yeah she could probably dance and then they saw what she did <laughs> and probably went oh no uh, we can't do that and then just hired some uh a very attractive model to yeah model or, slash or dancer. just a dancer like because yeah. dancers are smoking hot 
not most of the time because they're fit this is their job they they do this and their their bodies are always great and she's brunette instead of blonde and pretty and so there's this semi-sexy because of her dance and he norville barnes is dancing with her it's an all-white backdrop and it's sort of a come hither go away sort of dance and he is the biggest doofus of all time because he's sitting there running kind of with his hands outstretched yes this is one of the things that i relate to (laughs) i feel like this guy so he is going towards the allure of this woman and i think this is a metaphor and i actually just i think i broke it today the code so she is a metaphor for what he wants or what he thinks he wants what he thinks he wants is this great success and all he wanted to do was actually make a hula hoop you know for kids and yeah he he wants success that he gets from it is the bonus really he's seduced by success and it's very attractive this dream sequence comes after him uh him he's being confronted called, yeah he's being called on his transformation yeah from bumpkin nice guy to corrupt so he's going towards the dancer and then they they're running around and it's sort of like a near miss situation and then he finally gets up to her and then she they break apart it's like a ebbing and flowing sort of thing so eventually he gets up on her again in an embrace and then he turns his head away from her looking up skyward inquisitively to me i mean they break it away it's from then the elevator guy the elevator operator is hey buddy hey buddy wake up because he's asleep on his desk but it's not just the interruption looking at Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. buddy. I don't think. I think it's sure that's influencing his dream where the outside world noises influence your dream sometimes. But I think it's him looking away from the alluring thing. The dancer woman in this case, she's a metaphor for the alluring corruption of this kind of capitalism. And he's wondering, because the look on his face is... Is this what I really want? Especially since it comes right on the heels of having been told off about it. And I never figured that out until just now. And I've seen this movie, I can't tell you how many times. But that was the part that I was just always like, I don't know what this is about. I don't get it. I think I get it now. And it makes what do you sense. Think? I can buy that. I'll buy that for a dollar. No, this is not Robocop. <laughs> get out. Even though it does have a body being tossed out of a window high rise. Couple You're of getting them. movies confused. A couple yes. of them, actually. So this is also the most lighthearted, feel-good suicide movie ever. Yes. It begins with a suicide and it almost basically ends with a suicide almost. Hey, it ends with a suicide attempt. Yeah. For sure. So I want to talk to you about the, the press. The role of the press here is very strange and complicated. Because at once, you have some of the press championing actually discovering what is necessary to discover. Corruption and exposing it the press seems to be in a large part for the people to keep those in power in check so they don't abuse their power yeah and that's major corporations and so on but then the editors just like looking for tabloid garbage Figures charts. They never sold a newspaper. At the very beginning, yeah, it's very much... he. Well, he still wants kind of tabloids. He wants the exclusive on Tim Robbins. I want to know what makes the idea man tick. Where's he from? Where's he going? I want to know everything about this guy. Has he got a girl? Has he got parents? How many? What are his hopes and dreams, his desires and aspirations? Does he think all the time or does he set aside a certain portion of the day? How tall is he? What's his shoe size? What does he sleep? What does he have for breakfast? Does he put jam on his toast? Doesn't he put jam on his toast? Did not? Why not? And since when? Well! The second that... Generally gets real information he can't print it because if it is wrong and obviously the only thing that she's got is essentially hearsay not solid facts if they print the story about them it would be liable yeah so 
he can't really deal with that one at the moment. So, but later, once she gets actually more solid footing about it, she goes in and also Bruce Campbell as Smitty is there. He had already scooped her from an insider who happens to be Musburger. It's implied. You can't print that. We are printing it. She hits the streets this evening. And she's dynamite. But Al, it's the bunk. You're not the only one with sources, Amy. Smith has a source on the hub board. Very senior, very hush hush. Yeah, and I'll bet his initials are Sidney J. Musburger. You lost it, Aim. You've gone soft by the looks of it. Soft on the dummy from Dubuque. And that story from Musburger is that Norval Barnes' Looney Tunes. He is riding the Grand Lugensee Loop that goes from the height of delusional gaiety to the trough of despair. Diagnosis, Dr. Bronfenbrenner. Patient decidomenic depressive paranoid type B with acute schizoid tendencies. So, patient is... Precisely nuts. And he's unfit to be president, and they're going to can him at the beginning of the new year. It's more so because he discovers that Tim Robbins hires Jeffrey Jason Lee as his assistant, and that's how she's kind of getting... Yeah, he has no idea. And he has yeah, no idea that she's a reporter, and... That's a wonderful scene. That's just, that's very wonderful. It's a very long sequence, but my favorite part of it, I think, has to do with the Muncie song. Yeah, where it just all of a sudden he just, just breaks into this weird, stompy... That starts freaking her out, <laughs> and then it turns into a song. Fight on, fight on, dear old Muncie. Fight on, hoist the golden blue. That was all improv. He had improvised that, and they're like, what? Okay, keep go, keep do that. Because <laughs> it's just too weird. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, I, I will end up doing that whole sequence, and... Elby was like, just as she got home, that sequence was on, and she's like laughing at me, reciting along with, it's my, I'll tell you, it's my Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> screw, Ro- screw Rocky Horror, I can't stand that thing, but give me Hudsucker Proxy, and I'm all like throwing spoons at the screen. Not really, that's a different Midnight movie, that's The Room. But my point is, uh, that's the one that I go along with. And it used to be Army of Darkness that I used to do that too with. But, but what if this is my favorite, I'll tell you, this is my favorite Bruce Campbell movie. I can see that. Honestly, I would love to have a movie of Bruce Campbell, Smitty, and Jeffrey Jason Lee's Archer investigating something. That might be good, but Bruce Campbell also has a dual role in this. He is one of the silhouettes trying to come up with the name for is the he? hula hoop. I knew it was Sam Raimi was yes. one of them, but I didn't Sam know. Raimi's one of them. We'll call it the Flying Donut, the Dancing Dingus, the Belly Go Round. And he's actually one of the voices, but I do believe Bruce Campbell either isn't one of the voices, but he's a silhouette, or he might be one of the voices and he just doesn't do his typical Bruce Campbell voice, which is, he's totally typical Bruce Campbell. Hey, what gives after he keeps on getting smacked? by Archer. I actually did want more presence from Bruce Campbell, but there's not really much for his character to do other than being in the scenes that he's already in. Yeah. So he's perfectly used. Yeah, there's nothing really for him to do other than be there, but he's so entertaining when he's there. That, that's it. That's mumbles like, 
is pure speculation why they'd have my butt in a satchel. <laughs> oh, satchel, but Yeah, it, like, it's, it's just great. It would be fun to see them do, like, investigative journalistic comedy film. A little spin-off, yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna shoot that down. Greenlit, go, make it happen. Oh, you can't. Yeah, I, I don't have... <laughs> I don't have money or Neither do I. or a studio or a camera that's not my phone or my really, really old T1. I can't do it. <laughs> you can make a movie with an iPhone. It's been done before. Not that anyone would want to see. <laughs> <laughs> not from us anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, the thing that is interesting here is about, and it's kind of topical today. Let's talk about uh, Epstein. So CNN had the story about Epstein a long time before it broke. And recently there was a hot mic, basically camera on an anchor talking about this. And she was on a hot mic, meaning she didn't know that she was being recorded. She knew she was being recorded. And she told the story about how she had all this investigation done. She was speaking in definitive terms that she knew, that they knew, that everybody knew this. But the news company there, the press right there, that periodical, aka news station, whatever, said no. And they said no because somebody got to them, pretty much. That's what it seemed. Somebody got to them and said, no, don't. You kill that story right now, even though they had this story. So that aligns with this, with Musburger getting to them and saying, kill that story, well, the truth. Well, he fed them. He didn't He didn't kill. have them kill the story. He fed them a different story, which was that the hula hoop was stolen from Buzz, the elevator operator that Tim Robbins fires. Yeah. Wow. That's... And he had... Like, why did he fire him? Well, he, he fired him because Buzz I, actually had a I great know. idea. He was going to... I know, but, but I, is, is Norville Barnes that corrupt already? apparently he is well uh, i don't think this movie like, is farcical i don't it, it it doesn't really follow any kind of realistic well, behaviors well says i don't think that he that that was an act of corruption on his part i think the firing was more of an act of desperation because he sees the brilliance of the bendy straw and this i guess was where you say corruption would be he wants to crush this idea before someone else has you know because he's already tapped out he had his his one moment of brilliance and but that the see that doesn't even make sense i'm i'm not saying you don't make sense i'm saying that wouldn't make sense for him to do because he could bring this guy on and say here's your here's this great idea and he could basically mentor this guy and still take credit for it and still take at least partial credit not an appropriate credit of like that he brought it to me and i helped get it made yes but gave this guy a job but he's but this uh, is after he fires him yeah but this is after him being called on him not having any you know him basically just kind of goofing around laying about not working and no integrity yeah and he's been living on this whole power trip that he is you know so brilliant yet he has no more ideas and here's now the elevator operator where he was the mailroom guy coming to him with what is apparently a brilliant idea right so one of the perfect scenes in this film again i had seen this many times and i was always like they skipped christmas they entirely skipped christmas it's in a sense you blink and you miss it because what it is is it's a title card it's an invitation or a you oh, know, the fancy dress so, party sort of like a sandwich yeah a sandwich board or something that's out in front that says what it is and it's a christmas gala but because i'm an idiot and i don't read when words are on the screen i tuned that clip out and it's like three seconds i just always tuned it out and this time it said christmas gala and i was like they acknowledge christmas yeah see i didn't notice that it said christmas i didn't even think about that even though they do specifically mention that it's new year's at the beginning of the film yeah but i right? but 
they didn't. Yeah, he didn't necessarily. Notice, but yeah, I think there are Christmas trees in that scene as well. They're white Christmas trees set up. So I always thought that this was like a Christmas, not Christmas movie. Like it's a December movie, but it's it's a little bit of a Christmas movie. Just they acknowledge it, which is also one of my favorite sequences where he's trying to calm down the shareholders because it's a shareholders gala, and he ends up insulting everybody, including badly speaking Finnish and insulting the man's wife somehow we don't know what he says and say it might interest you to know that i studied a little finnish myself in high school let's see i hope i'm not too rusty um taxas busa meet naval mentors well he also he apes one of paul newman's lines where he's what's this i hear about you being an imbecile what's ailing you boy last week my stock was worth twice what it is now i'm thinking about getting out in a whole kit and caboodle of it boy unless i see a vast improvement <laughs> no need for concern, sir. It's only natural in a period of transition for more timid elements to run for cover. Yeller, I'll show you, Yeller boy. Happy line. You mind now and quit acting like such an old grizzly. The timid elements running. Guys Yeller. from Texas, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite part of the sequence is Peter Gallagher, the singer. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished members of the Hudsucker Board, I give you the Raja of Romance, the Ministerio of Moonlight. The incredible, the unforgettable, Mr. Vic Tanetta. It's so good. One, Peter Gallagher is has never been more handsome than he is in this scene. He has like the perfect pomade curl in his the front of his hair. He has like I think his uh, tie is untied. He's based on like a Dean Martin type of singer. That's that that was actually one of the things when I was watching this with Heather. She's like, oh, is he supposed to be Elvis? I'm like, no, no, no. He's uh, and I'm going like uh, Rat Pack. It's not not Frank. Uh, Dean Martin. That's da, it. Da, da, da. You're going through all the names. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going through my head like. Uh, Peter Lawford, uh, uh, no. it, the guy yes, who drank a lot. It's more like a Dean Martin. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And well, that's also part of the joke. One of my, it's literally the most perfect. I think it's the most perfect scene of the film is him singing. Take one fresh and tender kiss. Add one stolen night of bliss. One girl. One boy, some and he's holding his whiskey, and he glances to the left, and then back to the right, about to drink, and then he interrupts his drink with the rest of the song, and then the camera cuts to another scene. So it's like this perfect little joke moment, and it's just singing and his physical behavior. It's nothing more than that. Well, I, I have to say, if we're going to talk about scenes that you that we think are absolutely brilliant, it's Do it. the, the boardroom scene. He could have opened the window. Wearing Hudsucker never did anything the easy way. Wearing Hudsucker was never an easy man to figure out. He built this company with his bare hands. Every step he took was a step up. Except, of course, this last one. But when the president, chairman of the board, and owner of 87% of the company's stock drops... <laughs> 44 floors. 45, counting the mezzanine. Then the company, too, has a problem. That whole entire thing is a brilliant scene where they're, again, concocting the plan. They're going over the facts of, you know, what it means that now this guy's committed suicide. And you have one of the guys there is just, My God, you're animals. How could you discuss his stock when the man has just left 45 floors? 44. Not counting the mezzanine. 
they're they're so blasé about it. Just let's figure out what we're gonna yeah, do now. Nobody nobody calls the cops or anything. It's just like they'll take care of it down on the ground. And I also love Buzz the elevator operator's first scene. Hiya, buddy. My name's Buzz. I got the fuzz. I make the elevator do what she does. Say, buddy, what takes fifty years to get up to the top floor and thirty seconds to get down? Wearing hud sucker. You get it, buddy? Say, buddy, who's the most liquid businessman on the street? Wearing Hudsucker. <laughs> Say, buddy, when is the sidewalk fully dressed? When it's wearing Hudsucker. <laughs> you get it, buddy? It's a pun. It's a knee slapper. Jim True is so great in this. And have I actually seen him at anything after this? And yes, but I no. haven't. Yeah, he, he's he's acted. He's been in quite a few things. I've never seen him in anything other than this film. To my knowledge, I've never seen singles. And I know he was in that prior to this, but that's literally like he, the he's a working actor. Yeah, so like, a lot of TV. Yeah, and a lot of TV I don't watch. Right. Yeah, I don't watch television. What's TV other than the thing I watch movies on? I don't know what TV's for. For me to poop on. But yeah, in this film, yeah, it just it is kind of packed with a lot of little cameos that are a lot of fun too. Because you got you know Steve Buscemi's in it, John Polito, John Goodman's in this. Uh, well, his voices anyway. Yes. So once the hula hoop takes off, it's the news on the march sort of thing. Yeah. But instead of going news on the march and having a guy like this, because they've got too much of that in this movie anyway, especially with Amy Archer, they have John Goodman doing it. Rockwell News presents. Tidbits of time. of time. World news and pictures, we kid you not. As old man 1958 hobbles towards his finish, Barnes is the name on every American lip. Norville Barnes. Barnes is the brainy inventor of America's craziest craze, the hula hoop. And he still does a bit of that where it's, if you didn't know better, you'd think it was someone doing a John Goodman impression. Well, Cause it, cause he's it's just, beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's... His voice, instead of doing like the the regular guy, somewhat ambiguously southern voice that John Goodman naturally has, this shows that he can do a bigger range and character work. So it's more uh, an announcer guy, but then it does have that, that transatlantic sound, just a smidge. What scientific principle explains the mind-bending motion of this whipping wheel of wonder? Zodinkus is quite simple, really. It operates on the same principles that keeps the Earth spinning around the sun and that keeps you from flying off the Earth into the cold reaches of space where you would die like a miserable shrine. Yes, the principle is the same, except for the piece of grit they put in to make the experience more pleasant. Yes, it's hula hula everywhere, from the parties of the Park Avenue smart set, sweethearts who want to be married in the swing of things. And it's beautiful work. I love voice work. And I'm not even talking about cartoons. I just love voice work. Voiceovers and the whole concept of voice, voicing something. And it's perfect. There's so much perfect with this movie. In fact, I'll tell you, really, that dance scene, now that I understand it, this is a perfect film for me. Because before, that was the thing that was keeping me, holding me back. Actually, I do have, I have one thing I'm curious about. I'm just thinking about this now. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, because of the magical element in this film. Yes. Moses. Yes. Okay. He's okay. the Moses and, magical and Aloysius. Man. And Aloysius. Yes. Are they not maybe God and the devil? Or an angel and a demon? Angel and a demon. Something like that, because there's very much a deus... Uh, Moses, who is... Uh, well, absolutely deus ex machina. Yeah. But it's a couple of things. So, the angel is wearing Hudsucker. So, yeah. he comes down and tells Norval Barnes that... Well, after Norval Barnes jumps off the roof 
at the very beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. He stops in midair because Moses, who is a bit of a guardian angel. Yeah, he played by Bill Cobbs, who's absolutely wonderful. I mean, yeah, he's, he's and you want to talk about voice. The movie starts yeah. and ends with his voice, and it's great, too. This is Norville Barnes. That office he's stepping out of is the office of the president of Hudsucker Industries. It's his office. How did he get so high? And why is he feeling so low? Is he really gonna do it? Is Norville really gonna jelly up the sidewalk? You know, they say there was a man who jumped from the 45th floor. But that's another story. <laughs> he throws a mop handle or a broom handle into the gears of the clock and that stops time for everything and norville is hanging in the air not getting squished by the pavement that he's rushing towards and then wearing hudsucker as an angel comes down and tells him like if you just delivered the blue letter which now like if you delivered the blue letter you'll discover that since you're the president you become the you are definitely the the owner of the company yeah. now. You're yeah, you're given all of my shares and everything. If only Musburger had read that, he would have already he would have just been. But since the blue letter was never delivered, Huff titty toenails. <laughs> That'll show the bastard. <laughs> Which, by the way, I find that to be a little bit of... It's not retroactive at all? You can't... Oh, uh, I guess we should also say wearing Hudsuckers played by Charles Durning, yeah. Yeah, he, he's fun, man. <laughs> yes, so he's he comes down singing, she's, she'll be coming around the mountain. And they, there's this funny... Everything dialogue-wise is funny. Like, when he's reading the letter, he's misreading certain words. Fall and fail. The new president must be free to fall. Fail. And learn to fail. Fall. And rise again by applying what he has learned. And so on, and those little flourishes are so hilarious to me. But the guy that we see... Uh, Aloysius, I think it was. When we first meet him, he's actually scraping the name wearing Hudsucker off of a door, a window, and painting on something else. Musburger, I think, because he took his officer, I guess. Yeah. And, and he's a sinister-looking bald white man in his probably in his late 50s early 60s and moses is a very charming gregarious happy black man also probably around the same age so it seems that they are like you said angel versus demon is and they also do have a little bit of a fight while the time is stopped which also kind of lends a little bit to that again you're a little magical realism thing that's going on where absolutely uh, i like these kinds of movies because they they don't care they're like, here's here's this magical thing. Now, Joel and Ethan Cohen, when they saw this, they like, we, we're not making a movie that comments on the old movies and, and like exposes it or parodies it or anything like that. They just saw those old types of movies and said, let's make one. Yeah, it there's what is it? Uh, the Majestic with Jim Carrey is also kind of yes. like this, not not as fantastical, but very and much it's not as magical. It does have uh, a bit more manipulation, but it, uh, emotional ma manipulation to it. Yeah, and it comes off overly sentimental and overly nostalgic. Well, it, it basically feels like it's a Frank Capra movie where this you're saying like a musical. This feels more like it'd be a musical, whereas, yeah, that's more meant to be a sappy, sappy film. But yeah. definitely kind of like the same sort of vibe, though. You kind of feel like this plays out right. Now, we could probably keep talking about this for another hour. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to. At which point, at which point, we'll just watch the movie and turn us off. 
because oh, well, <laughs> just go watch it. It's let, so let, good. Let, let, let me throw this out because I, I always like to look at the little trivia bits on IMDb about films. And okay. some of these are kind of interesting. Like Joel Silver was a producer on this film, but he's Which uncredited. It's, but he's uncredited, but it's his production company. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't put my name on it. It doesn't have any guns and boobs in it. <laughs> but apparently, he really wanted Tom Cruise to be Norval. No. Yes, I, I sit there and go like, no, that, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> that would have been... No- that's absolutely the worst idea. A uh, good Norval Barnes, like, hey, Steve Buscemi was in this movie, but he could have been a Norval Barnes. He could have done it. Yeah, yeah, he is. It would have been slightly different, but he could do it. Now, Tom Cruise? No. no. And I like Tom Cruise. I think he's he can do stuff like this, just he can't do this movie. I don't care no. how... Yeah, there, there's nothing about him that would work in this role. No, yeah. not at all. Let's see, for Archer, I'll read three names that I don't think would have worked and then one I think that also was up for it, but I think kind of might have, could have done it. But yet, Ellen Barkin, Nicole Kidman, and Winona Ryder. Alright. Of the four that were listed here, Bridget Fonda, I kind of could see. I can also see Winona Ryder, but Winona Ryder would really have to do the work. Yeah, her, yeah it's like, she's good, I don't see that same energy. I can see that from, from Bridget Fonda, but I can't see that from went on a ride sure yeah yeah i'd say the work meaning she would have to really get like a coach and really really work on it now but it it takes somebody who seems to be a bit feistier and that's interesting that you say bridget fonda because a uh, single white female and how uh, jennifer jason lee tried to become bridget fonda. <laughs> now lastly uh they always wanted paul newman for uh yeah. Musburger. It took him 10 years to kind of convince him to do it because he hadn't really done much comedy. So in the meantime, two other people who were offered the role, and these are both very strange, Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. Like, sure, sure. I think Paul Newman is wonderfully intense in this film. And yeah. and I would say Clint Eastwood does exude some of that. I but, can't see him in it. Yeah. The my, last time, look, I didn't even know that Clint Eastwood was in a musical for a long time as Paint Your Wagon. And when I saw him in that, I was like, wow, what? That works. But that was back in the 60s. And since then, I don't think he'd done anything remotely well, it's similar. Like, by this point in both of those guys' careers, they're essentially playing who they are. Clint Eastwood is playing a Clint Eastwood character. Jack Nicholson yeah, is playing yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Right. They're not going to be Sid Musburger at any point. Right, exactly. Yeah, I get you. But so Paul Newman it is. There's certainly, yeah, you certainly go like, some of these casting choices would have vastly changed the film if they were stuck having to use some of these people. I really couldn't see it working as well. Again, exception of all those alternate castings, maybe Bridget Fonda, but even then, I don't know if it would be the classic, you know, in my eyes, that this is. Yeah. Now, you consider this a classic. Now, what I see, I, I say underseen because not a lot of people just really give two turds about this. Well, and I... Well, of, of all the Coen Brothers films, yeah, it's like, you'd think this one would stand you know high and proud with see, with i really can see or, criterion picking this up yeah that this this one it deserves should. the people behind criterion love movies and it shows 
with how much that they put into their into their packages. And it this is the sort of thing like the DVD I picked up. Literally, all it is is just the film. There's nothing, not, not even a menu, as far as I can tell. It's just yeah, the movie this, starts. This would be one of those dream Criterion, and I mean Criterion. I don't mean Arrow. I don't mean Shout. I mean Criterion. It, they deserve it. This movie deserves it. It's it's like true stories when that was put on criterion it was like finally you know that's how this should be and they've already done coen brother movies on criterion before blood simple is one of them i want to say this is my favorite coen brothers movie see i get battered between this and raising arizona well i i think this one is calmer so i think this might win this yeah well it's like this and then i go like you know oh brother and there's also actually yeah between it really would be between those two for me i mean there's they've they've got such great films but you know it's like this one just you know yeah this film's basically almost perfect like yeah i i can't really say much negative about it right (laughs) which which is funny because you know me (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i know uh, and you know me, um, one half of the original Grumpire, right? LB's the other Grumpire, where we're like, go ahead, say the thing that nobody wants to say. Say it's a crappy movie, if it's a crappy movie. go. There's none of that here. We can't. We can't do it. Yeah, it's like, I almost just want to find something to not like, but I can't. I already t- shot that down. I understand it now that I'm old. Maybe it took me being old to understand the scene but i understand it now i'm like yeah (laughs) okay that's the piece you know what heck with this i'm one more one more scene that's absolutely brilliant just just to close us out there's that bit where archer and uh, norval meet but the entire thing is uh narrated narrated by by these two by these two bus drivers yeah who are like have indigestion and they're just kind of like they start noticing this thing and they're just how does she pull this out he's getting away she better think fast she isn't. She is! She's good, Benny. She's damn good, Lou. Can I get you boys anything else? Bromo. Bromo. The whole thing is beautiful. It's just wonderful. And as for such a gray-looking movie as well, it's beauty on film. There's not a whole lot of color bursts in this movie. But it just sings. It sings to me. Yes. I love it. And regardless of if you trust my opinions in films, considering some of the things that I seem to like on this and some <laughs> that I don't, I think I think we can both sit down and say 100% thumbs, you know, thumbs up, although not weird out saying that because it's a trademark of someone else. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> All fingers up. Two very enthusiastic digits raised. <laughs> you have redeemed your terrible taste in films by loving this one yes yes that i'll i'll, I'll go with that yes we'll say that <laughs> <laughs> all right john in reference to this film and rounding out the end of the show happy new year happy new year everyone good night screw rocky horror i can't stand that thing